and welcome to the Marathon Medic Podcast. My name's Amy and I'm a junior doctor and running coach with an interest in sports medicine. On this series of the podcast, we're talking about running and travel. First up is Sam Hewitt. Sam is the co-founder of Ultra X, which is a multi-stage ultramarathon series that has events around the globe, including in Mexico, Sri Lanka and Jordan. We're chatting about how Ultra X started, the benefits of multi-stage ultras and what you can expect at all of their events. So hi Sam and thanks for um, joining me today. No problem, great to be here. Um, So could we just start by uh, just introducing yourself and a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Sam Heward, uh, co-founder of Ultra X, which is uh, a company which uh, has a series of multi-stage ultramarathons all over the world um, with the vision of basically making multi-stage racing more accessible because we believe, you know, it's it's one of the best sports, it's one of the best experiences that anyone can can have. So uh, yeah, that's kind of my my day job. Uh, outside of that, I'm a kind of runner, adventurer, traveller, uh, etc. Um, and yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And how did all of that start for you? How did you first start running? Uh, so the running thing was almost a bit of a mistake. So I, I was always into um, kind of sports and fitness um, and that kind of thing. And when I started working in London, um, I saw a, I heard about this, you know, big event called Marathon de Saab, which is quite famous as um, kind of a, a desert ultra marathon. It seems to be the, you know, the one everyone has heard of. Um, it's got a lot of publicity. It's quite big. It's about, you know, a thousand competitors each year. And I think I saw a documentary on it when I was kind of 21. I was like, oh, that looks awesome. I definitely want to do that. Um, and quite stubbornly was like, uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll sign down for it. And um, they, they're really clever with their marketing in that they, they present it in a way that you're probably not going to get in. So I kind of convinced myself, like, oh, you know, it won't happen, it won't happen. Um, and if it does, like, it's probably like fate. Um, inevitably, then two weeks before you get an email um, saying, you know, you're on, the, you're on the wait list, make sure you're online at this time, sign down. I was like, okay, well, I'll get online. And I remember I was at work um, and like, 12 o'clock got in and I was on the went, uh, website, you know, like Glastonbury almost and logged in and ne- inevitably deposit taken, gone. Okay. So I was like, oh, wow, I've got to learn how to run. Um, and luckily I had like 12 months until the event, but the event was, uh, what, 270 kilometers, uh, in six days across the Sahara Desert, carrying everything you need. So food, tent, oh, not tent, but um, sleeping bag, etc. So I basically uh, jumped in at the deep end and kind of learned during that. That was my first kind of uh, bit of running. Um, and I got to the end of it. And uh, I think I learned more in the actual week about how to do things properly, mainly because uh, some things went wrong. And also like learning from my tent mates what they'd done over the week. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's how I should have trained. Um, and I got to the end, I was basically like, wow, that was genuinely one of the best things I've ever done. And you know, you speak to so many people and they do a marathon or they do, you know, a, a big challenge and they get to the end and they're like, okay, I'm, I'm done now. Whereas for me, I kind of, rather than like, um, you know, scratching that itch, it was like, okay, what's next straight away. Um, so that was my kind of, first big thing and then I kind of I guess I got more into the whole running aspect I did a few like shorter distance events kind of more normal 
marathons, etc. But I've still, uh, you know, my passion is the kind of uh, ultra scene, the community that's in it, um, and the multi-stage stuff in particular. I guess that leads nicely into um, <laughs> how Ultra X started. So where did the idea come from? Yeah, so it's really funny. I think. Um, so my experience of multi-stage racing originally was that it was uh, quite expensive um, and a very set demographic of people who did it, uh, who did it. I was, I mean, I was definitely one of the very youngest. Um, there was, the majority of people I found were kind of white, male, middle class, kind of circa 45 year olds. Um, and so I'm 28 now, I was 22 when I did the MDS. Um, and I was kind of almost a little frustrated that like, you know, you're running from A to B in the middle of nowhere. Um, this shouldn't, this shouldn't cost you like a small fortune or a mortgage. And actually I would love to give more people this, the, like the opportunity to have this experience. Um, and I think, you know, lots of young people who are, you know, looking for experiences, um, should do it because it's, it's kind of, it can be quite a transformational, uh, experience. Uh, and <laughs> A year on from the uh, Marathon Saab, uh, one of my, my tent mates from the event, who was actually, funny enough, the same age as me, um, had heard about this event called the Wadi Rum Ultra, which was uh, an event in Jordan, and it was uh, run by this guy called Jamie Sparks, who's now my business partner, um, and he said, he was like, yeah, we should, we should do this, it's like, it's like uh, 500 quid, and I was like, no, that, that can't be right, like that's, everything else is like five times that, that cost, so anyway, it was, and um, we did the event, and it was amazing, um, and I met Jamie, who's also 28 now, um, and was organising this event in Jordan, standalone, um, and essentially, after the event, after kind of a few drinks, we uh, started like, you know, dreaming about, um, you know, you know, everyone should be given the opportunity to do this. You know, this, I, 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 he was doing it as like a kind of passion project at the time. Um, and we both kind of wanted to, I guess, run our own businesses and weren't that happy in our kind of um, day jobs. So uh, yeah, we kind of began plotting uh, about what this would look like and uh, about the opportunity and whether it was actually like viable and, you know, could be a thing. Um, and about a year later, um, Wadi Rum Ultra became Ultra X Jordan, uh, and Ultra X was launched, and we both went full time in uh, kind of November 2018, um, and it's been Ultra X ever since then. And now you're in kind of places all over the world. How do you pick the locations? Obviously, that was the the first location. Yeah, so uh, I guess. A few different things come into it. Um, number one, probably most importantly, it's got to be like stunning uh, somewhere where you know you're really taken away from kind of normal life. Um, you know, beautiful trails, uh, remote, um, and like that offering that kind of experience. I think it it adds a lot when you are you know somewhere which just almost feels like otherworldly. Um, I think another thing was we wanted to have a range of locations, so. We had a lot of people, uh, so after I, I met Jamie the first year, we actually ran Jordan together for one year before it became Ultra X. We had a lot of people who'd come and do our event and say, you know, that was like awesome, I loved it, but like, I'm not gonna come back to the desert. It's a very, you know, it's a very special experience once, but part of it is the adventure. So we wanted to have, you know, a different experience. So you could come and 
do a 250 kilometer race in the desert and then you could go to the jungle and then you could go to the mountains and then you could go I don't know to the ice maybe one day um, so that was probably another important thing and I think the third thing was kind of you know accessibility so for us a key thing is making our events accessible to our kind of our audience um, we, we want to choose locations which are relatively easy to travel to um, and not too expensive from you know key hubs and also once you get there it's not that difficult to get to the trails you know we've all or i've done kind of events where you you know you get to an airport and then it's like a six hour coach journey to get to the trails or even longer um, so we're very conscious that uh, Ultra X was going to be five day events, but Monday to Friday, and then you could fly in the weekend before and fly out the weekend after. So it'd maximum be five days holiday. Um, so it was trying to fit kind of all those things together. Um, and I actually think more recently we've, um, so we've got 250 kilometer races, which are kind of five days, the original kind of concept, but we've also now got 125k races, which are essentially weekend um, things, and it's kind of, it's encouraging people to have a go if that, you know, the 250 thing terrifies them, which is, you know, fair enough. Um, and those ones are probably more um, closely uh, located next to like, you know, pre-existing trail running audiences. So um, we've got one in the Azores in Portugal. Um, we've got one in England next weekend. Uh, and we're looking at a couple more very, uh, a bit close to home, um, which, you know, is, is a nice uh, kind of change and I think gives people a good opportunity to, you know, take a stepping stone to the to the bigger stuff. And what is it about the multi-stage events? Because obviously lots of ultras are just done over one day or even two. Yeah. What do you think is the added bonus of doing these events over a period of days? It's, it's I mean, these events are all about the people. Um, I mean, I think, and I think people don't necessarily realise that, um, you know, you... you People's um, kind of image of running events is around, you know, watching London Marathon on TV or seeing like a 10K in their local park. And, you know, an ultramarathon for one is completely different because actually, as soon as you take away the kind of time constraint or the time target, you know, if someone, if you do a marathon, someone will say, you know, what, what time do you do it in? Uh, whereas if you do an ultramarathon, it's always, you know, did you finish? Like that's, that's the defining benefit. I think if it's, as soon as it changes from, you versus them to kind of we're all in this together the kind of just general atmosphere changes the event um so i think ultramarathons generally are kind of a lot more you know community environments um and then i think when you take into account like the kind of campsite and the multi-stage element you just have an opportunity to basically spend more time with you know competitors and uh and kind of get to know each other and really kind of enjoy um you know one another's company and because our events are usually in places of kind of um, almost like virtual isolation. So you don't have, you know, social media, you don't have your emails, you don't have Instagram. And actually for those five days, all you've got to think about is running from A to B, getting enough food and then like connecting with the people around you. Um, and actually it's not really the running bit which people, you know, appreciate. It's always the connections we have with these kind of like-minded very uh, kind of on uh, well very inspiring people um and i think that's the thing which sticks with people more than anything else like the, the people who are kind of drawn to these kind of events are, are just generally incredible um so 
I think that's one of the you know the biggest things over a multi-stage event that you know can be bought out um, over five days. It's, it's actually more the campsite interactions than the than the race. As much as it, <laughs> it's crazy how much time we spend on like a campsite and a route and this, but actually the feedback we always get is you know that oh you know that that conversation I had with that volunteer or that support I got at that stage or like I suddenly realised this about about you know what was important. Um, is, is the stuff which really sticks with people. So uh, yeah, we've always gone for the kind of multi-stage element um, and really pushed the message that this is not necessarily a race. Um, some people will race it, but I'd say maybe 10% of our competitors are actually, you know, consider themselves runners. Uh, it's really just the experience that, that, and that's the thing that kind of uh, separates us, I think, from a lot of other uh, shorter distance formats. And you mentioned the campsite, so is there a set campsite for each day and you've basically got... Uh, yeah, so it, it, actually, it actually varies depending on the event. So um, there's always uh, six nights camping, so you camp on Sunday night before the event um, and then through to the Friday night. Um, um, yeah, depending on the actual race, uh, it depends on the number of campsites. Uh, in a like amazing like romantic way, it's always nice to have like a point-to-point race where you race each day between campsites. Actually, logistically, that's a, can be a complete nightmare because <laughs> essentially, from the time you set the first runner off, you have to kind of dismantle the entire campsite, run around to the next campsite, and bear in mind, you know, some of these places the roads are like terrible or there aren't roads, so you know, driving is very slow. Uh, and then you have to basically set up an entire new campsite. Um, so doing that for five or six days is is very challenging. Um, we have done it um, in some races, uh, and in some races we kind of switch it up and have two or three. Um, and it's a bit of a juggling act. I think if it if it if we really feel it adds a lot to the to the event. So for example, in Mexico, um, we are in uh, the Copper Canyons um, and we basically race between two magic towns. So in Mexico, uh, I guess it's I guess it's the equivalent in the UK of like a national heritage site. They designate, Nate, uh, say, I don't know, a number of cities or towns as magic each year. Um, and these are, you know, culturally significant. And so the whole concept behind the um, Mexico event has been run between two magic towns, which is, I mean, they're, they're incredible. And so that is a point to point. Um, across, and does that change each year, days. depending where the magic towns are? Uh, luckily, we've only, um, we're pretty confident that the magic towns we've got won't change. Okay. <laughs> I really hope not. I really hope not. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, the, uh, but then things like Jordan, when actually, you know, it's, it's desert, and although it is stunning and very, very beautiful, there's, actually not that much variation you can get in it in a campsite because there are certain things you need you know a big area of open space a good view um, so we actually only have three in Jordan um, in Sri Lanka we started with five now we've only got two um, but it's interesting we always kind of base uh, what we do the year after on what you know competitors uh, say like as I say, we originally had this, you know, great idea that you want to move from day to day and, you know, that's great and you'll, you'll feel like you're on a journey. But actually, for some people, it's really nice just to put your bag down, have your, have your you know, your roll mat and your sleeping bag and then come back to the same place and just, you know, have that for three days. I think it just takes the pressure off. So, um, yeah, we, we do both um, for different reasons. But, yeah, we always have, you know, six nights in a campsite. 
And how well supported are the races? Are the runners carrying everything they need for the day or are their stocks uh, each day? So a kind of in between. Basically, um, a lot of multi-stage races um, out there, like for example the Marathon de Saab, like for example Racing the Planet, um, they actually make competitors carry everything for the week. So you would carry all of your food, your sleeping bag, your roll mat, and it's it's almost not kind of running, it's almost like survival. Um, we thought, you know, we try and make all of our kind of decisions as much as we can around, is this going to make the event more accessible or is it not? Um, so we changed it so that essentially you carry what you need for the day. So, you know, you'd start off at 7am in the morning, you have to carry all the food. Um, we have water every 10 kilometers or less, um, so you can kind of top up on the way, but you would not have to carry your dinner, your breakfast the next day, your breakfast for the next day, your sleeping bag, etc. Which I, I, I think is actually a really big, um, it has a big impact on like what you carry. Like that's, I mean, it, it could be 10, 10 kilos. Yeah. Um, which you know significantly impacts like how much. It's difficult to run, doesn't it? Yeah, there's so much planning, and and you have to make decisions like, do you go for I don't know, do you go for weight or do you go for calories? Like, do you go for energy or do you go for? Um, and it's just I think it, it it just takes a bit of the enjoyment out of it um, potentially. But I don't know. Some people some people like it. You've mentioned some of the locations where the races are. Which do you think is the most challenging environment and why? Oof, it's. <laughs> Have you actually, firstly, have you ran all of them? Um, so I've run Jordan, um, obviously, because that's where I met Jamie. So I've pretty much run the course. Um, I, I mean, I've pretty much run the whole course of all of them because that's what we do on our recce's generally. Like it's it can be difficult, and to be honest, as much as I would love to be able to run all of them because they're stunning, it's just not like sustainable to run like two hundred and fifty kilometers, you know, ten weeks of the year um, pre-COVID. Um, so quite often we like e-bike them or bike them or drive them, whatever's, whatever's kind of possible. Um, it's, it's difficult, each one's got unique challenges. I think Mexico is probably the most challenging course. Um, there's kind of 12,000 meters of elevation and it can get quite hot. It's um, in November, so it's more, it's actually quite a nice running temperature. Um, Jordan's, um, very hot during the day but it's dry heat so um, actually you can kind of get used to it fairly easy it's not the heat which is unbearable so running on sand it can be a challenge but again it's it's not like the sand on the beach it's quite like hard packed most of it um, Sri Lanka is definitely the most runnable it's very flat very hard um, but the humidity is really um really difficult because you know it's, it's not actually that hot but it's just it's almost 100 percent humidity every day so you just lose water constantly and also one of the challenges is that um in the nights whereas in jordan it cools in sri lanka it's just the same so you're just sweating for 24 hours a day which is uh, horrible um but yeah i think there i think i i think mexico is probably the most uh challenging um overall as a course but it, it, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really difficult to say. We generally find dropout rates are pretty consistent across all of our events. Uh, and I don't know whether that's because um, people look at the courses and if you're likely to do Mexico, you're likely to be a lot better prepared than someone who does another race, for example. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of pretty similar, um, yeah. So if someone um, was completely new to multi-stage events, which one would you recommend, do you think? 
Um, I'd say Jordan. Jordan seems to be the one which is most popular. I mean, it's our, it's our kind of oldest oldest one, but I think Jordan is, is just a great um, one to start off um, with. It's it's definitely achievable. The cutoffs are generous. Um, it's not you you can get used to the heat very quickly in training. It's, uh, it's not a difficult thing to heat acclimatize wherever you are in the world. Um, and every year we have, um, you know, 50% of people have ne- who do it have never run a marathon. Um, really? Yeah, who complete. Oh. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say I'd say go to Jordan, but like, um, and I'm almost, I, I, I probably have this conversation with someone like almost every day now, but I, I, I genuinely believe that anyone can do one of these things. It's not like, you know, I think, uh, you know, 10 years ago it was considered like this kind of almost freakish like elite group of people who would kind of attempt an ultramarathon or attempt an Ironman and you know now I think you know I've, I've seen it that you know people of all ages all stages you know can get through this because it's not necessarily physically intense you're going at a very low intensity for a you know a long period of time um, so a lot of it is kind of mental strength a lot of it is kind of um you know just planning and get, making sure you've got the right fuel and nutrition um it's actually very rarely physical fitness reasons that actually makes people drop out during the event it's usually something um you know something unrelated um so yeah but i, I mean I, I i'd say have a crack at whatever and uh, yeah <laughs> um, and as well as having a policy on kind of making things uh, really accessible. You're also mm-hmm. quite keen on uh, the environment as well. Yeah. What do you do to try and encourage runners uh, to be more environmentally friendly on their run? Yeah, so, well, a few things. We, we're we very conscious that um, we want to make sure that, you know, future generations can enjoy the trails in the same way that we can now. And actually so much of our current lifestyle isn't necessarily supporting that. Um, in many ways, our events have very little uh, impact on the environment in that they're low participation, um, where you know there's not a huge amount of rubbish created. Um, on the other hand, we do have international events which requires competitors to, to travel. Um, internally, as an organisation, we can kind of um, make changes in that we offset all of our flights. Um, we have kind of policies on zero litter, um, pretty much zero um, single-use plastic events, things like that. Um, I think the biggest impact we can probably have though is in encouraging our um, competitors in our community to try and change their lifestyle or change or just be more aware and I think that's our um, you know our key goal in terms of environmental um, environmental stuff. We, we kind of published a pretty far-ranging, far-reaching policy um, this year where uh, essentially we um, say what we're going to do, we um, um, encourage competitors to offset their flights. So for example, when you sign up for, uh, when you sign up for Amy, you'll get an email straight away being like, okay, you're flying to Sri Lanka. Um, this is how much uh, carbon your flight is estimated to um, uh, put into the atmosphere. If you're willing to, you know, spend, and it's usually not a huge amount in planting trees or doing similar that would contribute that much carbon, then you get that amount off your next race. So it's kind of us paying for it in a way that we can. Um, but yeah, I think I think a big thing for us is trying to inspire change in our community and amongst other businesses. Like, I'm not an expert. We're a very small team. Uh, no one 
uh, you know, it's, it's difficult to get everything right and be perfect, but I think for us, just making sure we show as much kind of positive intent, hopefully we encourage our audience uh, and other businesses to kind of take note and start to make changes. Um, and we're already seeing loads of that already amongst competitors, amongst businesses. Um, so I think that's, you know, one really big thing. I mean, I'd love to be able to say, you know, okay, if you fly to a race and do an ultra X, maybe you've you know had a negative impact on the environment in 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 the short term but i'd love to be able to say you know over the course of that journey you've made something which is going to have a positive impact on your overall you know your lifetime um carbon or you know uh, social responsibility um so that's something we're kind of working on always uh, but yeah i always open to suggestions as well is it the the green badges or medals that yeah, so we uh, one of the uh, yeah changes we put in our sustainability policy is we reward uh, the most uh, the person who's done the most uh, kind of uh, had the best environmental impact going into the race. So there's kind of lots of opportunities whether it's offsetting their flights, traveling in a more sustainable way. So for example, um, if people get the train, it's not necessarily easy for places like Sri Lanka, uh, but, you know, we've got an event in Slovenia and there's lots of different ways where we can, uh, you know, travel there apart from flying. I think it's trying to raise awareness of that. So um, we're also partnered with a with an organisation called Rerun, um, who are based in the UK, awesome organisation, and they uh, basically recycle old uh, running gear. So I think so many people are guilty of, you know, uh, you know, just buying new kit when they don't necessarily need it, buying new trainers, buying um, whatever. And this, this uh, firstly recycles, so if you've got old stuff which you're not going to use anymore, you can hand it to them. But also they, they then basically revamp it and sell it on. So it's quite a good, um, a good um, you know, source of potential new, new clothes, or not new clothes, but um, yeah. Um, and you said you learned a lot during your first event. What would be your top tips for anyone thinking of signing up to these events? <laughs> what did you learn or, or what big mistakes uh, did you make? I think, um, firstly, yeah, number one thing I'd say is just like do it. Don't don't think about it too much because you know, and I've probably learned this in in business as well. Like, um, if you think about all the potential things which could go wrong, uh, the negative things, all the you know the early ones, all the training, you'll just never do it. And actually, by making the decision and you know committing, it it'll work out. You'll work it out, um, and I think that's very important. Uh, I think in terms of training, um, don't think about the final, you know, goal. Um, like for me at the time, it was, you know, the first thing I'd ever done. If if you think about, you know, 250 kilometers uh, in five days, it's terrifying. But if you think about, you know, I don't know, 40 kilometers this week, and then and then maybe like 45 the week after, and then maybe 50. And it's crazy how you know if you consistently do that you'll find yourself in like this like position where suddenly, you know, 100 kilometers a week is, is kind of almost like normal and your body's just used to it. So I think, yeah, take it take it kind of week by week in terms of training. Um, ignore 90% of stuff you read online because it's just, there's so much out there and, you know, people with strong, I, I always say, um, there's no such thing when it comes to um, an ultra marathon as like a specific, um, training plan or a specific nutrition plan because so much of it is is personal and you know I'll speak to 50 people who do Ultra X Jordan and finish Ultra X Jordan and 50 people will have eaten different things during the week, they'll have 
done different things in their training that have covered different amounts of miles. Um, so I really wouldn't be worried about um, kind of, you know, trying to um, follow specific advice and just work out what works for you, particularly things like nutrition, like, um, you know, a lot of people can kind of stomach different things in different environments. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's most of it. <laughs> Great. And if someone does want to um, sign up to an Ultra X event, where should they head? Uh, so the website is www.ultra-x.co. Um, Instagram is ultraxco, um, and that's yeah. Most of the, I'm sure if you Google it, ultraxco, you'll find us. Perfect. Anything else you want to add? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, do it. You won't regret it. Great. Thank you. <laughs> to keep up to date with the latest episodes, follow along using the handle at marathonmedic or visit marathonmedic.com. Thanks for listening.